What's up, everybody? Welcome into episode 216. That's right, 216. 216 for the land episode of Living Off the Land. I'm Dan here with my co host Steven on this great Tuesday evening, and you know what that means. Tuesday night is a hot Tuesday night. Uh, both literally and figuratively, it was about 97 degrees. Didn't even get up to 97 till like 7 p.m. tonight. But uh, it is yeah. hot in but Cleveland, boy, oh boy! And this is a big, Betty big, White. big time night here because this is episode 216. 216, baby! Oh my goodness, do we have a great show for you tonight? Uh, we have our main segments. We've got a great top five for you, and we've got talk about all of our teams. So. Let's get right into it with the beer of the week. Let's do it. And uh, so the beer of the week, I'm just going to be real quick with this because uh, there's nothing nothing too much to talk about with it. Uh, this is a uh, domestic beer. We're not going Cleveland Craft uh, tonight. Uh, I've, I've just got an MGD, a Miller Genuine Draft. Uh, the significance of this is I uh, had people over this weekend uh, to kind of break in my new back patio, and we had a bonfire and everything uh, grilled out. Uh, it was a great time, but uh, this is something that I found at the store looking for another beer, and uh, it just immediately reminded me of my grandfather, my nono, uh, rest in peace. It was his favorite beer, uh, Miller Genuine Draft. Very, you know what? You know what's funny is I don't like Miller Light, but Miller Genuine Draft and Miller High Life, fantastic, hmm. absolutely great. Um, so this t- this takes me back. This was, um, you know, this is going back in the old days when. Uh, you know, we'd go over to their house and uh, hang out, and uh, he would always have MGD in the fridge. So, uh, you know, whenever I think of Miller, well, I can't speak for Miller Genuine Draft, but what, you mentioned Miller High Life. Whenever I think of Miller High Life, I think of a guy that we that this economy needs right now, and that's Wendell, the guy who would go around and like take away the Miller High Life from places that was charging too much. <laughs> yeah, eleven fifty for a hamburger. Y'all must, must be, be crazy. crazy. <laughs> That's like a good deal nowadays, oh, unfortunately. God. <laughs> help, please. Inflation, 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 help. Anyway. Yeah, so anyway, uh, this is just your standard, awesome, uh, you know, domestic bottled beer. I mean, I don't know what else to say. Um, I Do I even rate it? I don't know. It's not, you know, it's not like a craft beer. We're not like trying, I don't know. Uh, we'll give it a 7.6. Love MGD. 7.6. Yep, solid beer, and uh, that is Beer of the Week. That's what I'll be uh, enjoying as we uh, give our hot takes on Cleveland sports later in this episode. Awesome. So, anyway, it's BCAN time, and so last week we completed the basically ring around the rosy around the core of Cleveland by doing Central Neighborhood. So it's episode 216. We've been kind of dancing around it. Where are we headed tonight? Well, let's let this play. When you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go downtown. Downtown. 
That's right, folks. We are going downtown on VCAN tonight. And Cleveland's downtown is incredibly gorgeous, very wonderful skyline, and just all around awesome. Uh, so quickly, the geography, if I mean, I don't know how you wouldn't be familiar with this if you're a listener or from Cleveland, but basically the Cuyahoga River bounds it on the west side. And I-90 bounds it on the south and the east side with Lake Erie bounding it on the north. And you almost have to – it's it's a small area. It's really only a couple square miles. But you almost have to classify downtown into like six or seven different districts or clusters. Mm-hmm. Uh, you basically – you have the lakefront. You have the CSU campus. You have Playhouse Square. You have Gateway. You have um, – the actual core around Public Square with most of the skyscrapers, and then you have the Civic Center and also the Warehouse District in the East Bank of the Flats. So just very briefly going through each one of these, um, along the lakeshore, this is where you have the place we don't like to talk about all that much on this podcast, the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, You've also got the Great Lakes Science Center and First Energy Stadium, home of the Cleveland Browns. Just to the East of there is the Burke Lakefront Airport, which actually is a little bit of probably the most controversial port part of the downtown neighborhood. Mayor Justin Bibb has basically made no secret of his disdain for this property and that he wants it gone and redeveloped. I mean, the uh, whole the whole uh, the whole downtown uh, Lakeshore area is just yeah. That area you just mentioned uh, by Brown Stadium, which has gotten a lot of run over the last couple of days in, in uh, Cleveland media. Uh, regarding a possible new uh, Brown Stadium, and uh, and then like you just mentioned, uh, Burke Lakefront. Well, we're going to talk about that later on for sure. Uh, but yeah, uh, it is going to be very interesting to see what happens with Burke Lakefront Airport. I I think because a lot of that land is landfilled, there's you know you can't build skyscrapers on it. You have to be a little bit strategic as far as you know what you would be able to build there. But uh, I mean, pretty much anything would be better than what they have there now. It's it's just. Hopkins has so much. We haven't covered Hopkins Airport yet on this podcast, but there, there's so much excess capacity there that I just can't imagine Burke really. Be, I mean, really, it all Burke is used for nowadays is people with private jets, pretty much. I mean, basically, yeah. So, anyway, coming down a little bit to the south of there, you come into the, um, you know, toward the Cleveland State University campus. There's a little bit of space in between uh, the shoreway and there. And that's where you have some – you have a bit of a bar district there, actually. That's where Noble Beast Brewing Company is. Uh, actually, that's where uh, Crazy Horse is. You've got a few other items in there. Uh, Medusa Restaurant and Lounge is in that area just off of St. Clair Avenue. As you get across Superior Avenue, that's when you get toward the Cleveland State University campus. Uh, this – Cleveland – Sorry. Cleveland State um, has done a lot of things in recent years as well. Uh, the the things I, I think of most, you have the administration building, which is really a high-rise there. You've got a lot of newer uh, commercial and residential properties just off of Superior Avenue uh, right before you get to I-90. I mean, I can't speak for all the programs they offer so much because I've never really been, you know, been involved in that side of it. But uh, Cleveland State has a lot going on. And then, of course, just across I-90 is the Tri-C Metropolitan Campus. As you come across now sweeping to the west, Erie Street Cemetery uh, basically separates that area from Playhouse Square. And Playhouse Square, I think, nationally, is the most underrated part of Cleveland. 
I think it's criminal that people nationally do not realize just how amazing Playhouse Square is. You have five theaters there. They were all built around 1920. The Palace, the Ohio, the State, the Allen, and the Hannah. And these theaters had live productions for many, many, many years. Uh, they originally started as, with vaudeville performances back in the 1920s, and um, eventually, as the the theater genre developed, it, it just sort of became what it is today. The thing is, is that during the 1960s, they were not very well maintained, and it's kind of weird because in the post-war period of the 50s and 60s, most of Cleveland was thriving. For whatever reason, Playhouse Square was not. By the end of 1969, all the theaters, ex except for the Hannah, had closed due to declining attendance, and they were really thinking of tearing these places down in the 70s. Thank goodness the Junior League of Cleveland and the city's leadership, including the uh, formed the Playhouse Square Foundation and worked with Cuyahoga County to uh, a major restoration project in the late 70s and the 80s. And by the late 90s, all of Playhouse Square was functioning again. And you know, with only a little blip in the COVID-19 pandemic, it has remained so all the way to this day. It is the second largest theater district in the United States behind New York City. I have yeah, which is crazy. It's even big, like anything in L.A., Chicago – um, anything like that. That's that's crazy to think about. Right. Like I have told people on Instagram. I mean Chicago this, has the Chicago Theater. Yeah. Yeah. I've that's wild. I've told people in my lift car this, I've told people on Instagram this, and I basically get laughed at by people. They're like, Oh, come on, I can't be the second baby. No, do your research. I mean, yeah, yeah like you said, Chicago, they got the Chicago Theater. Um uh LA's got the was it the Dolby and the Kodak Theater out there where they hold the, the Grammy or uh, not the Grammys, um uh uh the Academy Awards. Yeah, but they don't have the number that we do. That's wild. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, you know, and uh, not you know, we're not talking about this uh, tonight. But even like uh, the old Lakewood Theater District here, I mean, that's where that's where people like forget that's where Tom Hanks came from. Mm -hmm. He started in Cleveland in its theater districts. It's funny you name drop Lakewood because one of my athletes in the top five might be coming from there later. Ooh, mm -hmm. interesting. Um, as you come across even further to the west over toward I-90 and over toward Ontario Street, this is where you get into Gateway, which nowadays is, is mostly your sports district. That's where Progressive Field is, the corner of Carnegie and Ontario, as mm -hmm. Tom Hamilton says at the beginning of every Indians telecast. Mm -hmm. uh, Rocket Mortgage uh, Guardians. Oh, Guardians. Ah. <laughs> Guardians. <laughs> um, Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse right next door, home of the Cavaliers. Obviously, uh, just a little got ways, that one right. A little ways down from there is Jack Casino, which um, I don't even know if that's a Dan Gilbert property anymore. Actually, it's I don't not, think it is. It's not um, Rock Gaming doesn't exist anymore. No, he sold it a few years ago. But um, and just off of there is East Fourth Street District, which this is a walking district. Uh, no cars are allowed through there, and this is where you have Mabel's Barbecue. You've got Barrio. You've got all sorts of. Um, Flannery's Irish Pub, which was you know, the original downtown Irish Pub. Yeah, um, used to have the Greenhouse Tavern uh, back in the day, but that closed. Now Indy East Fourth is in that spot. Heard rave reviews about that spot. Zanzibar <laughs> Soul Fusion is just a little ways down Prospect from there. And then yep. as you get toward the other side, you've got Butcher and the Brewer. You've got Wonder Bar. Uh, Corner Alley is at the far end of, of East Fourth on Euclid Avenue. House of Blues. House of Blues is just uh, across, just the next building over from there. If you're going toward Public Square, 
Uh, if you're going away from Public Square, that's where Chocolate Bar is. That's where um, Pizza oh, 216. Pizza 216 is there. Balance Pan, which is an Asian grill, is right there. This is your main, like, restaurant district, more or less. There's right a, uh, uh, I believe it's called Kathy's Creamery, which is an ice cream shop. Oh, no kidding. Uh, in the arcade. Uh, right next to uh, Pizza Two One Six. So you've got the arcade, which is basically this indoor shopping area, which pretty much goes right in between Superior and Euclid Avenue. The arcade is incredible. I mean, the arcade is is a is one of the best, um, not only photo opportunities in the city, um, but people people have their wedding receptions there, just inside the arcade. You know, as the stairs go down into that little uh, um, floor area, people will have weddings there. People. May not have their weddings there, but we'll take their their wedding pictures there. Um, the arcade is is beautiful. My wife Ren and I actually have a uh, framed photo from that right there, there when we go. had our legal ceremony. So there you go. Be that as it may, if you go just a little bit of west from there. That's when you go to Public Square, and you have Public, your main. Yep. You mean your main skyscrapers, the Huntington Building, the Key Tower, and uh, the Terminal Tower, all touched Public Square right there. Yep. Uh, your main commercial hub is there. In fact, the new Sherwin Williams skyscraper. It's interesting because, like, the northeast corner of Public Square is where Key Tower is. Southeast is Huntington. Southwest is Terminal Tower. Now, on the northwest corner is where they're building new Sherwin Williams building. So, uh, you'll have skyscrapers on all sides of Public Square here in, in the next couple of years uh, once Sherwin Williams gets that building built. Um. Yeah, and then as, if you go even further west of there, that's when you get toward the warehouse district. Uh, more great places to eat here, but this is more of a bar district, more, um, first and foremost. Velvet Dog is there. Barley House is there. Uh, dive Bar is there. I should be naming off. Rumor is there. I mean, I should name off all these places because I basically pick up people at these places every week. Ivy? Did you say Ivy? Uh, no, I didn't say Ivy yet. Ivy is there as Ivy's well. There. Right, Right there on West 6th. Uh, uh, Insomnia Cookies, I gotta shout them out because after you've been at the bar all night, that is a great place to go yeah. for your late night sweets. There's a new uh, Italian seafood restaurant down in that area called Aqua di Luca. Oh yes, that's at the corner of St. Clair. That and is West that's at that's at the old EXO uh, Prime Steaks location. I didn't realize that was Italian. I told everybody that's a seafood restaurant. What's well, it's an Italian like seafood? Yeah, they uh, they do they do. Yeah, they do. They do mainly seafood there, but it's an Italian place. You know, it's it's a it's a very very upscale place. Get a glass of wine, get some seafood. You know, they do some seafood pasta dishes as well. Um, so yeah. If you go over to West Ninth Street, this it's kind of an extension of the same neighborhood. Mallorca is over there. Uh, Camino, which is a Mexican place, is there. Uh, Tomo, which is the yeah. hibachi, is right there. Constantine's Market is over there. Yes, it is. That's right next next door to that. Uh, there's um, a few apartment buildings over there as well. Yeah, the Archer is, is a major high-rise that's just um, beyond that as you go down toward the shoreway. There's actually one on the opposite side of the road, too. Uh, Pin Pinnacle Condominiums is over there. Yep, and then you go down the hill. You go down the hill, and, like, you've already had so much fun, but, I mean, it goes even into a whole other level once you get down the hill. Yep. Uh, that's where you have Lindy's Lake House. You've got Beerhead. You've got Punchbowl Social. Margaritaville Cleveland is down there. And then as you make the turn down into the very uh, edge of the along the river, that's where your primo party district is with Inferno, Goodnight John Boy, and Big Forward, Bang. and Big Bang. And then there's also All right uh, there. Rum Runners, which was a huge uh, location down there in the 90s that, that closed, just reopened uh, in the old uh, Thirsty Dog uh, location down there. Hmm. 
Uh, you also have Alley Cat, <coughs> Alley Cat uh, Oyster, Oyster Bar. Bar. Yep. Um, there's a barbecue place out down there now, which I, I can't remember. There's also there's a sushi place that I that just opened down there. I'm trying to think of all the places that just opened. And actually, there's another uh, club that just opened down there. I don't know if it just opened, but I would not heard of it very. Uh, it's called the Farm. Oh yeah, it's a country bar. Yeah, it's a country bar. It's a Chase Rice uh, themed country bar. Welcome to the farm. Yeah, that's been a big hit uh, downtown. And then shout out uh, on the weekends, you will see uh, uh, Ricky Smith, Raconia, and his uh, uh, amazing food truck down there, and uh, they're they're doing up uh, grilled cheeses, and it's a uh, donation only uh, truck, so they don't actually charge you for uh, your sandwiches, but uh, they're um, they suggest uh, just giving a donation and stuff, and I'm I'm pretty sure that uh, all the proceeds go to um, go to a good cause. So uh, just definitely a shout out to uh, Raconia for sure. You know, when I read the reviews of places like the Farm and Goodnight John Boy, and especially Forward, I I see people they they leave reviews like this place is amazing. I just wish it was in a bigger city, and I'm just like. Is that like a backhanded compliment, or is that like a dig at the city? I I, just, I can't just decide. Just enjoy your time. Like you know? if you're having a good time at a place. Who cares that it's in Cleveland? <laughs> right. Like like why does it like? That's got to be out of towners leaving those reviews. That can't be it has locals. To be. Like, I don't know, but um, there's also um, oh the the Jimmy Buffett place. What the heck is Margaritaville. it called? Margaritaville. Did you say that? Yes, I did. Okay, sorry. Um, Lago East Bank is down there as well. Uh, once you get over to the Aloft Hotel, yes, I didn't mention them. Uh, Truman Two One Six. That's another bar down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, tons of places down there. ESPN Cleveland's actually moving their offices and studios down to the East Bank of the Flats. Is that right? Yeah, they're actually uh, they're doing a, uh, a block party on Thursday from nine a.m. to nine p.m. Uh, as a kind of like a grand opening of their new studios downtown. So, oh baby, which is free to everybody. So if you're if you're uh, if you're free, uh, f- anytime from nine to nine on Thursday, check out uh, ESPN Cleveland uh, and their block party down on Old River Road on the East Bank of the Flats. I might be going down there for a little bit because we have our uh, uh, our national sales awards meetings uh, for our company uh, this week, starting tomorrow actually. So uh, that's going to be going on this week for for our company. So I'll be down down there for uh, a good portion of it. So might definitely need to check out um, uh, Aaron Goldhammer in a dunk tank. <laughs> you go through a ball Hey-o! of him, you don't want to miss. <laughs> hey Yeah. So that pretty much covers everything except for, you know, the Port of Cleveland is just adjacent to the east bank of the flats. And then yep. if you go kind of back up the hill along Lakeshore, that's where the city, the civic center is, where you have Cleveland City Hall, the – the county courthouse and the justice center are all right in there. So, as well as the Huntington Convention Center, uh, and all of your major hotels are seemingly in that area as well, between Lakeside and St. Clair Avenue. The Drury, mm-hmm. the Hilton is there. the The DoubleTree is there. Pretty much anywhere you were. So, right around, but right in between all the city buildings, and then in between the skyscrapers, pretty much for all the people who stay downtown. All we're missing is a stadium with a roof on it. Yeah, pretty much. Well, anyway, so we can host a Super Bowl. We can host a Final we Four. We can host you, a WrestleMania. Have we given you enough content in this segment? <laughs> get downtown. Be. If you haven't been downtown in a long time, get downtown. Yeah, you're gonna love it. Yep. And you cannot put that on the board. You can win with the right hand. 
and you can uh, put it in the bottom. The bottom. The bottom. Ah. R.I.P. Fred McLeod. Speaking of. Yeah. So this is episode 216, and uh, I thought no other better way to uh, commemorate this episode than uh, probably the uh, greatest, the absolute greatest night of our lives as Cleveland sports fans. And uh, I will just let uh, Fred McLeod take it away. You know, obviously you can just tell of Fred's passion in that video. You know, the guy is a what was a born and raised Clevelander, graduated from Strongsville High School, and uh, he went and I believe he worked in Detroit for a while. Uh, he was a Detroit Pistons announcer, and when and when uh, Dan Gilbert bought the Cavaliers, you know, Dan Gilbert's from the Detroit area, so obviously he had known Fred well. He brought Fred – as soon as Dan Gilbert bought the Cavaliers, he brought Fred with him and just put him in as the uh, the Cavaliers TV play-by-play announcer. And uh, what a legend. I mean, I got – it's been – it was six years on Sunday, and listening to that video uh, gave me goosebumps still, still to this day. It's, it's without a doubt the greatest night of our Cleveland sports fandom. There is nothing like it. I was at the watch party uh, when that happened, and honestly, just like, you know, it was a game that was close throughout. Uh, the Warriors, I think, were up by as much as eight in the second quarter. But like, I actually, wa- but, like, I actually nervous- watched the game on rewatched the game on Sunday night. But like, it was it was close enough to where the nervous energy never really took over the building. Um, people were, I, I think, part of it was we had won Game Five and Game Six, so people crazy. were starting Cra- to think that this could happen. Crazy too, because that is such uh, the typical Cleveland fans' reaction is if a game is ever close. Or say we have a lead, and the at the first side of struggle, it's oh we're gonna lose. I've seen this story way too many times. We're yeah, gonna lose. it's over. And then the the end of the game just unfolded kind of weirdly. <laughs> you had almost a four minute stretch where the game was tied at eighty nine, and neither team could throw it in the ocean for whatever reason. And Tyron Lue called the timeout with about a minute left. I'll and tell you what. It was, I think that both teams were physically and probably even more so mentally exhausted by that point the Warriors were going for three almost every time the Cavaliers were actually trying to move it inside I remember LeBron had a little baby jumper that he missed Kevin Love had a little jump hook on the post that he missed you know these are not everything was front rim too right right everybody was tired you know but which which makes not only given the stakes and the situation but just what we were talking about, how everybody was exhausted, everybody was tired. 
that Kyrie Irving shot, especially the Kyrie Irving shot, but also the LeBron James block. The block, I mean, okay. I don't know where he got that energy. That, I think, was the play that convinced some people that in the building that we were going to win the game. And right, because because I, th- I because it was a superhuman play. We all thought Andre Iguodala was going to lay in or dunk that ball. Yeah, and if he did, the Warriors were going to win. Two the game. point game. The Warriors were going to win. It, the was, game. it wasn't over technically, but like it would have been much no, worse. No, but yeah, obviously, the, yeah. I think the the energy of that arena in Oakland just completely went out of the Warriors and their fans when LeBron blocked that ball. It it probably made them think, oh crap. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and of course, they call a timeout. They come back out of the timeout. They they manage to get the switch, you know, Irving against Curry, which is exactly what they wanted. Irving steps back, nails the three, biggest shot in Cavalier history, which you've said many times. It's the, big, it's the biggest shot in NBA Finals history. Uh, yeah. You'd be hard-pressed you not make to an say argument, otherwise. And, and because NBA Finals, you could make an argument that that's the biggest shot in the history I mean, the of o- basketball. The only other one I can think of is Ray Allen's three in the— Game six of the twenty thirteen finals. Right, but again, but but his but his three didn't win. His three, it if only I got them. It only got them the game. game. It tied the game. It tied the, the game to overtime. Yeah, and only and the Heat still had to win, and they still had to go to game seven. So, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, that. Imagine hitting a three, with less than a minute left in game seven on the road. Right. The entire season came down to that shot and for then, the Cavaliers. And then the thing is, you still have 40 seconds left. You still had to hold the Warriors out yeah. the rest of the time. Kevin well, Love does why, a job on Steph right. Curry well, in the next why, possession. That's why, you know, the three, we, we talk about the three, uh, the block, the, the block, three, the and shot, the D. And the stop, or the three and the D, yes. <laughs> well, LeBron's so eloquently said during the uh, the the parade uh, celebration, he says, I ain't going to call it the D. I'm going to call it the D. They called it the stop. Uh, but uh, everything about that, and after it went, so it was after Irving's shot, and after the the Cavs had made a stop on the other end, Irving did his little thing where he was originally going to try to lay it up, and then he didn't, and he passed it out, and then the Cavs called timeout. It was during that timeout with like twenty seconds left that everybody was was going absolutely ape. That was when everybody realized, oh my goodness, we might actually do this, and sure enough. It, the only well, thing, the only unfortunate thing about the whole ending sequence of that game is that LeBron didn't make the dunk over Draymond Green. I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank God he made one free throw. Still made the one free throw, which all but iced the game. And yeah. sure enough, game goes final. People lose their minds. Oh, and, I'll never forget it. Me, and know, my, me and my brothers were uh, watching the game, and my parents' uh, family. My mom was there too, obviously, but it was like. You know, it was the original five of us. You know, my brothers have now gotten married, started their families. Yep. Um, and everything. And, you know, that's all awesome, obviously. Uh, but in 2016, I believe that was right before Mike got married. So, yeah, it, it was, was actually. It was he us, got married the next month. It was us five just in our house on a Sunday night watching the game. And I'll never forget it. I'll never forget when we won the game. We piled on my dad uh, because, you know, as, <laughs> as, as some of you, as, Probably all of you don't know. My dad was born in 1964. To that point, that was the year of the last Cleveland championship. So right. we've we grew up our entire lives, you know, prodding and poking at my dad, saying that he was the curse because he was born the year that they last won a championship, and they haven't won one since since he's been alive. So that was such a special moment to be able to share that uh, with him and my brothers. Uh, we did shots after <laughs> celebratory shots. 
Um, didn't sleep that night, obviously. Um, what a night. And I know you, you have an even, even more memorable experience because your mom worked for the Cavaliers for over 30 years. She was literally in the fetal position crying <laughs> after the buzzer. And when she looked up, the look her. on her face was just like, after everything I can't she... believe that just happened. Yeah. And she had been at the organization for 29 years <laughs> up to that point. Thank you, John Gruden. And, I mean, it's the same thing with your dad, like 52 years. He, he legitimately thought that this was not possible, that, yeah. the, that you just we could not win a championship, yeah. that we were cursed. There was no way. <laughs> she fully believed the same thing. There's a, there's, a reason why, there's a reason why during football season when the Browns have the ball first in a game, they go three and out. He says the game's already over. <laughs> <laughs> and then I yell and scream at him. <laughs> Unfortunately, this year it was the opposite. The Browns got a touchdown in the opening drive. The game was over against them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> But um, I mean, we got just, went out. My brother and I, we oh, walked down East Fourth Street. The there were people that climbed up on the light Matthews, poles and everything. I was just like Matthew's video of the final of the buzzer moment. when he, you guys are all you, your dad, and your mom are all hugging, and then Matthew just got his phone up and excuse my language, I got to do it, and he's just like, "We did it! We fucking did it! Oh my god!" <laughs> One of the greatest videos. He, he ever. didn't believe that it was possible either, and <laughs> no. he, would, he didn't have all the years to be jaded like you know, no. and Mary Beth or Rich, you know. Yeah. So like, I yeah. mean, and then your dad was pretty cool as a cucumber because you know he's he's originally from Philly, so you know he's he's obviously he's, he's a Cleveland sports. He's fan a little now, bit but, detached, but you yeah. know, still no, he was still. I mean, yeah, he shared he shared in it, uh, you know, with your mom for those thirty years of uh, you know being with the Cavs organization, and yeah. what a what a moment. What an absolute moment. I just, you know, and people say that, and it's probably true given the historical context of it, if the Indians finally, the Guardians, I keep doing that, it's the second time in this episode, <laughs> the Guardians we're gonna, we're gonna win have the to, World we're, Series. We're going to have to, in the studio, put like a quote-unquote, quote-unquote, like swear jar. Like if, every time you say Guardian, Indians, you got to put a dollar. You have to pay. Yeah. Yeah. If the Guardians ever cash in a World Series or – even Gulp. more so if the Browns cash Gulp. in the Super Bowl, that the celebration might outdo what we saw with the parade. I don't know. But that's, that a, a, but that's a really listen. high bar to beat because 1.3 million yes. people. I think the Browns would without a doubt. I don't know that a Guardians World, World Series would do Cavs numbers. And obviously the reason why is because it, the Cav, like for the Cavs it, – it, it, it's the first one of any sport in this in that in our city for 52 years. So like, it didn't matter which team it was. Whatever team was going to be the first was going to do historical was numbers for the parade. Um, but yeah, I think anytime the anytime that the Browns do it, I mean, it's go. You're, you're literally going to have people flying in from all over the world. And this is even considering the fact that the Cavs parade was in June, the Browns would be in February. Doesn't matter. Which is usually a much harder sell. It, it but could be, it could be negative ten. Yeah. Listen, they, listen, they got. Thousands and thousands of people to come out in January for the 0 16, 16 parade. parade, which is yeah. like, I, I, whatever. I'm like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, but yeah. But anyway, the current Cavaliers team, they have a draft coming up on Thursday. They do Thursday night? We own the 14th pick in the draft. And uh, yeah, it's boy, I. Uh, 
I think probably because it's the uh, we have the 14th pick in the draft. It's incredibly difficult to try and you know handicap who the Cavs are going to draft. I'll tell you this: they're if probably it, not drafting listen, a big. I they better not be drafting a small either. If they draft hmm. anybody under six foot six, I'll lose my mind. Gosh, and I would say if they draft anybody over six eleven, I'd lose my mind. So well, there you go. There you there's, go. There's, there's the end. There's your range. We're like, I need somebody who's six eight that plays defense and that can hit a jump shot. Is this like are we scouting the NBA draft or is this like match.com right now? Like I mean, <laughs> farmers only. You don't have to be lonely. Three yeah, at farmersonly.com. City folks just don't get it. <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> yeah, but, uh, so that's that's what we're looking for. We're looking for an athletic wing or stretch four who can score and can play defense, right? Yeah, that's pretty much it. So those guys don't grow on trees. So you know, Brian Windhorse was on ESPN Cleveland today, and he gave a name. I'm trying to find. Uh, I'm trying to find who that was. Good old Windy. Seems yeah. like he's been around forever. Oh, yeah. So, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but Usmane uh, Diang, mm. he's a 6'10", 3D wing that can dribble and pass, apparently. Uh, he is a guy that apparently, he's a, he's from New, uh, he plays for the New Zealand Breakers. Really? So he's, Wow. Completely yeah. on the other side of the world. Right. Uh, he is French, just turned 19, and he's six foot ten. Developing skills. So he's a he's a um, he's an unfinished product, which normally I wouldn't really like. But uh, Windhorst made an interesting point uh, on whoever the Cavs draft is it, it, it should be somebody that's on the timetable of the expected Evan Mobley explosion. And what I, what I mean by that is when Evan Mobley begins to reach his physical prime and starts exploding as a basketball player, usually that happens with a guy uh, who you're, is young and you're looking to develop into his body. Usually that happens about three to four years down the line. So we're looking for to draft a guy that's going to kind of develop with Mobley. Um so I thought that was an interesting point because the Cavs are in kind of a conundrum because they're almost ready to win now if you go by what happened this past season. But you also have to look for the future because Evan Mobley's not going to enter his prime for another few years. He's going to continue to develop and get better. That's right. So do you want to draft somebody who's going to be along the same track as him or do you want to draft somebody who maybe doesn't have as high as potential but can come in and help you right away and be a solid contributor? I'd almost be drafting more. It's I, tough. It sounds like I, I, I don't endorse this usually, but I'd almost be drafting more for potential than win now, yeah. just, just given where the team is at its eleva- uh, evolution. I think you can afford to sit on a guy for a year or two as opposed to like sure. trying to be a contributor as a rookie. Yeah, but, because I think it – the Cavs are good now. 
anybody with the potential to be great. Right, a but anybody, years down the but road. anybody that they draft at fourteen is not going to turn them from good to elite. You, you know? wouldn't think, because even because I mean because guy because you know we talk about guys who were drafted at fourteen fifteen in the past. You talk about guys like Giannis and Kawhi Leonard, right? But those guys weren't Giannis or Kawhi Leonard until like years four or five in the NBA. Kawhi was that's, good. That's correct. Kawhi was good right away, but that's because he was playing with the San Antonio Spurs and within their San Antonio system. Spurs. Yeah, exactly. But he wasn't like, you know, he was, you know, in 2014 when they won the championship from the uh, from LeBron and the Heat, he played really well in that series. But well for him in that series was, was scoring 18 points a game and playing great defense, not – not who we've come and come to know of Kawhi Leonard, who is an MVP candidate year in and year out the past five years when he's been healthy. So it's interesting. Like, do you want somebody like? Uh, Not to cut you off, but what I remember most about that series, 2014 NBA Finals, was the Spurs killing off their air conditioner during Game One. Oh, that was, and, game, that was game Five. <laughs> or get, oh, was it Game One? Was I, game thought, five? I thought it was Game One, but maybe it was Game Five. Anyway, it was a critical game, and like. <laughs> The, the air conditioner just randomly went out during the game, and like it, I guess it flustered the Heat players because they really just didn't play. Oh, well LeBron got that. LeBron got cramps <laughs> all throughout that game. Timely, whether yeah. it was gamesmanship or not, I, I doubt it was. But you're right; it was game one. I don't know why I thought it was game five. Uh, but yeah, but anyway, um, so yeah, uh, great memories there for the Cavs, man, and. And uh, the future uh, definitely looks bright with this young team continuing to develop. You know, uh, Darius Garland had a great season last year. He's not he, – he hasn't reached his apex yet either. Um, I think you're prob- you probably know what you're going to get with Jared Allen at this point, year in and year out. But Mobley, Garland, you can even throw Sexton in there. He missed all of last year. He's still not at his apex. We don't know what his future holds with the team, but – Assuming he's here, you you'd like to think that he would get continue to get better and better. Um, mm. You know, if if uh, Isaac Okoro can ever develop some sort of jump shot, you know, even if it's in the corner and just hit it with some consistency, I mean, you can see him turn into a player like Shane Battier. Oh yeah, absolutely. Which I think is a great, great great comparison to him. He just has to develop the shot. Um, so yeah, I'm very bullish on the Cavaliers for sure. So. Anyway, moving from the future to the present, I guess the question is, do we want to go off the field first or on the field? Uh, we'll go on the field. Let's talk some Gardos. On the field. And on the field, the Guardians, the Guardians <clears throat> are absolutely killing it right now. Mm-hmm. They beat up on a whole bunch of bad teams, you know, before this week, you know, teams like Baltimore and Oakland and Texas. And then they went to Denver and they swept aside the Rockies as though they were not even there. And... So then, okay, so they were the next series after that was they were going to Dodger Stadium to face the Dodgers, who are one of the best teams in baseball. This was the series where the Guardians <laughs> were supposed to get a reality check, and they were supposed to, well, get beat up on, basically. Mm-hmm. Well, that didn't happen. Nope. The Guardians went out to L.A. and took two out of three from the Dodgers. Very impressive. You know, you got, at this point, are we— are we calling the Guardians a contender, or is it still too early for that? It's still too early. It is still way too early. Um, you know, it's been interesting with the Guardians. They haven't really been hit with injuries a lot. 
mean, uh, Fran no, Ra- not really. Fran Mil Reyes went on the IL, uh, and Aaron Savali went on the IL. But other than that, they've been relatively healthy. Um, obviously, James Karinchak hasn't pitched an inning yet this year. He's he looks like he's getting ready to come back soon. But uh, yeah, I I'm still holding out. I'm not not quite there yet. I'll tell you what though. We have, I believe, seven games in the next two weeks with the Twins. Yes. That's going to tell you a lot about what you need to know about this ball club. The first of those games, by the way, is being played right now up yep. in Minneapolis, and it is in the middle of the seventh inning right at, now. The uh, Guardians leading 3-2. At Target Field. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's it's going to be interesting. We have seven games coming up against the Twins in the next couple weeks. And, oh, by the way. Twins, Red Sox, Twins, Yankees. That's our stretch. Yeah. Um, Could it get much more difficult than that? No. Not really. And that's coming off the heels of playing the Dodgers. Yeah. Uh, But obviously. You don't play another, quote-unquote, bad team until you play the Tigers on July 4th. The Tigs, yeah. So this really could be the stretch of really the entire season that makes or breaks the Guardians. I mean, I'll say this. If you take five out of seven or something like that from the Twins in this stretch and then just kind of hold water against the Red Sox and the Yankees, I'll pro- I'll, I'll probably change my answer to a yes, they're contenders, if yeah. that happens. Oh, for me too. Um, I mean, and then, I, and then, I would then, sign up for that right now. And then at that point, you're talking about the trade deadline, and if that happens and we're in first place at the trade deadline, you're, you tight-ass You're Dolans, going for it. Yeah, exactly. Unless you subscribe to the theory that this year the the World Series is just the Yankees versus the field, which I mean I'm I'm hearing a lot of that take right now. No, but I'm like, telling you right now the Yankees are going to choke in the playoffs. Oh man, to 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 God's ears, man. Yeah. The they don't are, they don't have good enough pitching. Pitching wins in the playoffs. They don't have good enough pitching. Yankees are fifty and seventeen. I know it's Oof, it is. that's nausea inducing. It isn't. I mean they're they're on they're. They're on record-breaking pace, aren't they? They're on pace to win like 120 games. Yeah. What's what's the record? That's, Is a, good it that? that's a good question. I mean, I know the the Yankees won 114, but I don't think they have. The, I thought the Cubs won like 116 one time. But uh, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, they don't have a 22-game winning streak on their resume, so you know, we still got them on that. The 1906 Cubs and the 2001 Seattle Mariners are tied for the most wins in a single MLB season with 116. That's right. The Mariners had an incredible team in 2001, and they blew it in the playoffs. So yeah, maybe, la- there, maybe there's your parallel. It's the last good team that they ever had. That they, they actually had. they actually lost to the Yankees in the ALCS, who then turned around and lost to the Diamondbacks in the World Series. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, the Guardians, man, uh, they're looking good. The young the young kids are doing it. I mean. Quan had that blistering hot start at the beginning of the season, then kind of had a uh, really rough uh, month of May. But he's starting to get back. I mean, his average dropped to about 240. He's back up to about 275. And he's now uh, taken over in the leadoff spot because Miles Straw is struggling so bad. Uh, But Quan is playing well. Uh, Oscar Gonzalez has been a revelation since being brought up, which is incredible because – the biggest question about this Guardians team going into the season was who the hell was going to play in the outfield, and there's two, two answers right there. Quan uh, and Gonzalez, he's been great. Jose Ramirez is the best player in baseball this year. The only thing in the lineup that is cause for concern is what the hell has happened to Fran Mil Reyes. He, this is his first game back tonight. He's 0 for three with three strikeouts. 
He's batting 191 he on the season. can't do any worse than that. Yeah, he's batting 191 on the season. So you'd like to think he's 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 enough of a veteran guy now where you think he'd start to get back to what his track record is, which is, you know, mashing home runs and hitting about 260. Uh, but he's just struggling. And Terry Francona alluded to him not being in, in the best of shape, and that might have been one of the reasons why he was put on the IL to get into shape. And he's come back and – He's over three or three strikeouts. Tell you what, that's not something you want to hear from your manager. No, <laughs> no. I mean, Terry Francona is not the first guy in baseball to throw a guy under the bus. So no. for him to say that is is pretty glaring, honestly. Well, so here's the thing: I don't think he, I don't know that he ever said that in public, but uh, reporters have insinuated that that's kind of what's been the, the spiel in, in the clubhouse mm. between the two. So I mean, Terry Francona is never going to come out and bash a guy in the media. Own, no, no, player. he just that's just not in his nature. No. But behind closed doors, I mean, I'm sure he's got a little red ass in him and he's gonna he's gonna give it to the players when they need when they need it given to. So yeah. you know, looking back at the standings here, we talked about Minnesota and obviously they're playing Minnesota tonight, they're only game behind first. I can't help but think that once we get to September, it might be Chicago that we might have to worry about more than Minnesota still. I mean, Chicago's, Chicago's just been, four and a half behind. They're three Chicago, and a half behind the Guardians right now. Chicago's without a doubt the most talented team in the division. There's no doubting that. The fact of the matter is they have been absolutely decimated by injuries this year. You can put that on the board. Just, yes. Yeah, just decimated by injuries. But yeah, I mean they. I think they're still. I, I think they're still the most talented team in the division. So, um, hopefully, uh, you know, even when they get their guys back, they don't catch fire. But uh, because I agree right. with you, I agree with you. If if, if the Guardians are planning to hang around all season. I I I think more so it's the White Sox and the Twins that uh that's going to be a threat to win the division. Because yeah, even if this is the status on July 31st, you know, Twins in the lead, Guardians a game behind, White Sox four and a half behind. I don't think the White Sox are selling. I think they're still no, thinking no, it, no. I think they're still going for it. So, you know, it it is going to be a three-team race I do expect um as we go along, I mean, the Tigers and the Royals obviously are way out of it, 11 and a half and 13 down already. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah. Should be a fun summer. It, um, yeah, it, that's great. That really oh, is yeah. great. Because a lot of people were not expecting that, that the need Guardians get, would be in this situation. Need to get back down to the ball yard, man. I, 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 yes. I've, I've gone to one game this season uh, a couple weeks ago. It rained, and we left in the sixth inning. Um, but definitely got to get to a to a weekend game. Hang out in the district. Well, gee, rain, that's something we haven't had in a while. No, it's not. Thankfully, because we had so many rainouts earlier yeah, well, this season. <laughs> for me personally, it's not good right now. Uh, it was good until I got the concrete poured at my house, and then now it's not good because I have grass that I'm trying to grow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I got to spend an, uh, over an hour, because it's not raining, I got to spend over an hour of my day every day watering grass. That stuff was growing like crazy even two weeks ago. Now it nope. seems like the grass is just starting to turn a little bit yellow now. Yeah. But anyway, be that as it may... Is the grass still green for a certain QB on the Browns? Is something did something really big and momentous happen, or did we expect this to happen today? Oh, I don't think anybody expected this to to leak today. Uh, and of course, we're talking about uh, Deshaun Watson. If you didn't know already, uh, Deshaun Watson had twenty four civil cases uh, levied against him for sexual misconduct. And uh, it was announced by the uh, prosecuting attorney uh, in the civil cases, Tony Busby, 
that they have reached a settlement on 20 of the 24 cases for an undisclosed sum. Um, I believe all of the um, all the accusing women uh, signed NDAs, non-disclosure agreements, so we will no longer hear, at least from those 20 women, um, any of the details of what their side of the story was that happened. Um, they were given a settlement of a sum of money. Like I said, we don't know how much that is per per uh, per person. Um, but there are still four outstanding uh, suits out there. My thinking is that the belief is those cases eventually will get settled as well because I don't know how Deshaun Watson's team, when he's been proclaiming his innocence and his wish to quote-unquote clear his name, would agree to settle some but not all of these cases. But there have been leaks coming out about potentially more lawsuits. There have been detailed leaks about some of the encounters that have happened. Um, and a brilliant stroke by Tony Busby to threaten to add the Houston Texans to the lawsuit as a defendant, along with Deshaun Watson, for basically saying that they knew what was going on and they were criminally negligent, complicit in what was happening. <laughs> basically, it got the NFL to, in my opinion, start to play ball with Deshaun Watson and says, hey, if you want to play football this year, you better start settling these cases. Because because it, for the NFL, their thinking is we don't need this to get to a point where this attorney actually names the Houston Texans as a defendant in the case because that brings the whole league into question. Right. So I think – Not to mention billions of dollars of assets too. I think that um, they have been working on a – not only the settlements in the civil cases, I think they've been working on a uh, disciplinary settlement between Watson and the NFL for the last couple weeks. And I think one of the um, one of the guardrails of whatever I, I'll say this. I think I personally think Watson, the Browns, and the NFL already know what his suspension is going to be based on the fact that he's starting to settle these cases. I think the NFL told him, and I know we've got all the red tape about Judge Sue Robinson and the appeal and blah, 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 blah. I think they've been negotiating negotiating behind closed doors on this the whole way. Ever since probably about a couple weeks ago. It would make sense because all parties involved would want to have clarity on this and not have it go all the way, like, into training camp, into the preseason. Right. Yeah. Because it would just be a huge firestorm because, in my opinion, if the NFL did nothing and said, well, these cases are still you know, being litigated and we're not going to comment until these cases are, uh, you know, these cases are, you know, seen through, which would mean that Deshaun Watson would be playing on September whatever, week one. But I also because because I think if they tried to suspend him without 
um, some finality in these cases, I think the NFL Players Association, uh, Players Association would absolutely have a conniption and would threaten to countersue the NFL. And you would have a whole mess because what the NFL Players Association was alleging was that they were going to essentially throw in the NFL's face the part of the player, uh, the, uh, the uh, code of conduct, where it clearly states that NFL owners and NFL personnel are held to an even higher standard than the NFL players when it comes to code of conduct. And they were going to throw the Robert Kraft situation in the NFL's face, who, for better or worse, was involved in something similar to Deshaun Watson. Very similar. They were going to throw that in their face and be like, well, you didn't punish Robert Kraft at all. Right. Why does Robert Kraft get off when Deshaun yeah. Watson gets the book thrown and the th- out? And the thought, the thought at the time when he didn't get suspended was, oh, well, there were no criminal charges brought against him. Well, there are no criminal charges brought against Deshaun Watson. That's right. Um, they're all, they would also probably throw the whole Daniel Snyder debacle with the Washington Commandos at them right now mm-hmm. with the whole, you know, uh, harassment and, you know, workplace uh, environment uh, scandal that's going on there, not to mention – not, only, not to mention the financial stuff that he's been uh, accused of going through, which is even worse with, you know, withholding revenue from the other teams and stuff, you know, with the revenue sharing and, and ticket sale revenue and stuff like that, allegedly. <coughs> so they're going to throw that in their face. And then there's a couple other ones that uh, uh, issues of owner. Oh, Jerry Jones, the whole uh, voyeurism thing that just got swept under the rug uh, this offseason. You barely even heard about that. Yeah. So there's a lot of things, and it was it was going to get really really messy. So I think, I this is what I think. I think do I think Deshaun Watson's going to get suspended? Yes. Do I think it's going to be less than anybody thinks potentially? Yes. I think that that's why that Washington Post came out and said that the NFL really wants to suspend him for a year or indefinitely. But I think because the NFLPA, the NFLPA. Right, they're gonna they're gonna fight for Deshaun. I think that's where you you were starting to see the back channels of negotiations and stuff like that. And then it comes out today that he settled twenty to twenty four cases. I think those other four cases eventually do get settled. Do I think maybe those four cases are the strongest ones that they have against Deshaun Watson, and maybe he ends up having to pony up more money to get those to settle than he does the other twenty? Probably. Yeah, probably. But I think. I think they already have some sort of probably pre- preliminary agreement on settlements because I don't think I don't think Deshaun Watson and his lawyers settle these twenty without also thinking that they're going to settle those other four. Because why would you why would you do it and then leave four to still have right, to fight? Cause, because the whole thing is he did he didn't settle on any of these initially because he because. When you settle a case, it involves some on some level an admission of guilt, whether it be criminal or civil. In this case, civil. He didn't want to do that, and that's why he was planning on fighting all of these. And well, you know, I don't think legally, I don't think legally it it's an admission of guilt. I think, uh, how, which what we've talked about the last, especially last week, the court of public opinion. Yeah, if you settle if you settle a case, yeah, you're. To the people who are paying attention to the case, yeah, they're thinking that yeah, you're you're admitting that something something happened, and I'm willing to pay for it to go away. Right. So even though legally that may not be the legality of it is is you know he's not admitting guilt. Uh, it's essentially uh, an agreement to not pursue the case any farther for a number of reasons. 
you know, not in his case, but maybe in the accuser's case, you know, um, the longer this goes on, the more people don't, people need to understand that the longer, the longer that this goes on, the more expensive it becomes for not only Deshaun Watson, but the accuser too. Like Tony Busby has to get paid. And he's not doing this for free. No. So some of the, you know, a portion of each settlement is probably going into his pocket. And this was his goal the entire time. This is not to disparage any of the accusers. This is just talking about Tony Busby. His aim in this entire thing is monetarily. He wants to get paid. He wants to get his clients paid. In other words, he's a lawyer. Yeah, he's a lawyer. Right. So, um, but anyway, I think, you know, we have our group chat with our brothers, our group text chain, and... uh, well, that was a spicy one a couple of days ago. Yeah, but but today uh, with Math- Matthew saying he thinks four to six games, um, I'm sort of there in the ballpark. I think the baseline is six. I I, I think Deshaun Watson's getting suspended for eight games. For that's half the what season. I think too. Um, so and I think that's probably contingent on the other four cases getting resolved before uh, training camp starts. So, uh, we shall see. Uh, Mary Kay Cabot um, was reported as saying tonight that uh, uh, people in the league expect uh, the NFL to hand down some sort of preliminary discipline uh, by the July 1st holiday weekend Friday news dump that usually always happens in the NFL. So... We'll see what happens. It could happen before that because now, you know, we have the news of these settlements. Um, but I'll say this, and again, this is away from the lawsuits and the things that Deshaun Watson is accused of. We don't know what happened. We'll probably never know what happened because I believe all these suits are going to end up getting settled. If you're the Cleveland Browns and you're the Cleveland Browns brass, today was a great day because – you have a much greater chance of getting Deshaun Watson on the field this season for a good chunk of the season. Yeah, total agreement on that. And I think with the way that the Browns' schedule sets up at the beginning of the season when Deshaun is probably going to get suspended, I think the Browns can kind of hold serve and tread water a little bit. And then at week nine, assuming his suspension is eight games, Boom, we're ready to go. You just read my mind because I literally just pulled up the schedule as you were saying that. Week 9 is a bye week. So the eight games prior to the bye at Carolina versus New York Jets versus Pittsburgh at Atlanta versus L.A. Chargers Mm -hmm. versus New England Mm -hmm. at Baltimore Mm -hmm. versus Cincinnati. If you can somehow be 4-4. and I don't even think that's – I mean, I'm not too high on Jacoby Brissett, but like with all the other assets the Browns have on defense and with the running game and everything, yeah, I, I almost think four and four might even be underselling a little bit. Um, yeah, but it could be. I mean, it could be that first month. I mean, the first month. You know, <coughs> listen. I hate to say this too because, like, I'm going to sound like a hypocrite here because it almost makes Week One like super, super important, which scares the living crap out of me well, especially because never win in week one right but especially yeah. if if this uh rumored browns panthers trade for baker mayfield goes through the browns are gonna be playing their 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 jilted jilted lover ex-quarterback ex-lover quarterback in week one 
I'm on the record as saying that that is a major reason why that trade hasn't happened yet because those two teams are playing in week one. I don't think so. I mean, the salary side of it, which is the other argument, makes a lot more you know sense, but there's just something about sending your quarterback who now hates you because you completely mismanaged your quarterback situation in the offseason and then him being on the opposite sideline for you in week one. I mean, and given our history in week one, I mean, that just screams like Panthers 40-7 to over the Browns or something like that. I mean, here's, you know, the, th- here's just... the thing. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, though. <laughs> And I'm not saying that that they're correct in, in thinking this. I don't think I don't really I really don't think the Browns care because they don't. Well, view, it doesn't seem like they care. Well, they don't view Baker Mayfield as a good quarterback. So they don't. I think they're like, fine, go to Carolina. We'll play you week one. We know everything about you. They should just trade them then. Well, they're not because they can't agree to how much the Browns are going to pay his nineteen and a half million dollar salary and how much the Panthers are, because remember. The Panthers have Sam Darnold on their roster, who is also in the fi- his fifth-year option. He also has a fully guaranteed contract for this year for, I believe, around $18 million. So if they trade for Baker Mayfield, one of those guys is going to sit on the bench making millions and millions of dollars. So the Panthers are not going to want to pay both of them. This whole situation is playing almost out like a European soccer situation oh, yeah. where – a player has a certain value or a certain number, in this case, attached to him, and one side or the other just doesn't see you – know, it's, it's almost like a yeah. player's sale as opposed to a trade, and one side or the other is not budging off of their, their number that they want to pay for it. So, Surely. So the deal's not getting done. Yeah. No, I that's, – that's almost exactly what it is. So if you're the Browns, I mean, make the Panthers come to you. They don't want him that bad. Then they're not. He's not going to be on their sideline in week one. Right. So here, here's the thing. It, it doesn't. It doesn't make sense for the Browns to essentially pay all of Baker Mayfield's salary to go play Absolutely somewhere else. Absolutely not. Why would you? I mean, especially if he's playing against you. I mean, wow. Right. But I mean, they could just pay his entire salary and have him sit on the bench, a la Deshaun Watson last year, for the Texans when he re- yeah. when he requested a trade. Why would the Browns pay almost his even? You know, teams are trying to get the Browns to pay like fourteen million dollars of his salary. And the Browns are just like, why? We'll just we'll just keep him. How about new? No? Well, because you think about it, if the Browns listen, he's in his fifth year option. If the Browns keep the Browns are not going to trade Baker Mayfield for anything less than a third round pick. You wanna know why? Because if they keep him and just let him go to free agency, they get a third round compensatory pick for letting him hit free agency. That's correct. So if you're the Browns, it makes no sense to trade him and pay most of his salary. I believe it's been reported that the Browns are willing to pay half. I can't believe that teams would not jump on that. I, his his yeah, image I must be so sullied nationally at this point. For which, again, it, which, again, it, it's also his fault because he had a crappy season last year, and he, he does have a kind of a cowboyish attitude at times. Yeah. But it, it's the Browns' fault. The Browns played this badly with regards to uh, the way that uh, they handled him and the way that this whole Deshaun Watson, not even not even the off-the-field stuff with Deshaun Watson, just their pursuit of Deshaun Watson. They should I, – I don't know. I, I will I, – I, I, I contend that the Browns overplayed their hand 
when they got Deshaun Watson, which created this entire Baker Mayfield mess because they weren't willing to trade him until they knew that they were getting Deshaun Watson. Even with all that, it's just amazing that some team, like when you mentioned Carolina, like what about Seattle? Like why have they not stepped up into the plate? Like they have nobody. Know. You know, it's it's just funny I don't know. how this whole thing's played out. But in either case, on we go. Yeah, so that is what's going on with the Browns. Uh with the uh, with the Browns quarterback situation right now, uh, just looking for some more clarity on those final four cases for Deshaun Watson, and then uh, more than likely hearing what uh, the NFL has for him and as far as a suspension goes. So, so we have talked about all of our teams on this episode. We're going to conclude this episode with some inter sports fun here. Who are Call it your favorite. Call it the best. Who are the most prominent athletes on a Cleveland team or from the so Cleveland area? How do we want to do this? Do we each want to give five, or do we want to like just give our list of five, or do we want to actually do like the draft style? I was thinking draft style, but I mean, what are you thinking? Hmm. We can do draft style. Yeah. Uh, you gave me number one pick with the N64 draft, so let me uh, let me return the favor so you can have the number one pick. Okay, well, this this first pick is pretty obvious. It's Jose Ramirez. Wow! Uh, Jose Ramirez is absolutely Whoa. just... That was obvious? I, in my opinion, it is. He's You're the best. talking all time. He's the... Oh, wait. No, all time? No, I'm talking about today. Huh? Oh, I thought we were talking about all time. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay, hold on. I'm out. I thought we were talking all time. No way. I okay. That's a completely different top five that I'm not prepared for. Um, okay. Oh boy. Uh, shoot. Okay. Well, what I was going to say is that Jose Ramirez is having the best season of anybody okay. in baseball this season. You did say right he now. Is, You're right. We'll go yeah, right now. Again, that's it's like could lead the league in doubles. Could lead the league in in home runs. Will almost certainly lead the league in RBIs at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Last I checked, he was so, over an RBI. Game. I will retract my statement. That is obvious. Okay. Yeah, that's my bad. I I didn't read your text correctly. Okay. When you suggested this. All right. So now I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna have to do some stuff on the fly now. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot. Because I'm like I'm like I felt bad about giving you the number one pick because I'm like he's just gonna take LeBron. <laughs> And now I, mean, I that can't, would be that would be an obvious choice. And now I can't take LeBron because he doesn't play for Cleveland right now. If that I mean that's your own basis. I mean if you don't want to go with somebody who doesn't play for one of our teams currently. I mean he is from the area. That is true. And that's that's up to you. Okay, I go LeBron. Okay, LeBron <laughs> LeBron James. All right. <laughs> Technically, yeah. If we were going if we were going historical with Cleveland, I would not have picked a guy that that uh well, LeBron played for Cleveland, but I would not pick, like I would not pick an athlete that's from here that didn't play for a Cleveland team, even though they're that's eligible. Mm-hmm. But uh, okay, yeah, LeBron. <laughs> okay, so yeah, uh, we've already talked at Le- about LeBron ad nauseum already in this episode, and yep. you know he is just the greatest, pretty much, and all the stuff he does for the city of Akron on top of what he does on the court is Absolutely. just phenomenal. Okay, all right, so pick number two. Pick number two for me. So it's got to be somebody on the Browns, and there's really two guys that I'm thinking I, of I know, I know you're two. And I'm thinking you're probably going to take whoever I don't take. 
<laughs> so I'm going to go with Miles Garrett. Ah! I think Miles Garrett is just an animal. Damn he it. is. Is it possible that he's actually underappreciated at times? Because it seems like there's some games like, well, he hasn't had a sack yet. Oh, he hasn't had a tackle for loss yet. You know, yeah, yeah. where's Miles? Forget. Yeah. You know, never mind well, the like, fact that he can completely take over and own games at times, yeah. like he did against the Bears and like he did against Baltimore. Yeah. Uh, my my dad. Anytime I watch a game with uh, with my dad, he anytime there's it's it's a crunch moment. My dad will always yell out, "Where are you at, Miles?" Like right before the play starts, "Where are you at, Miles?" Let's make a play, Miles. Yeah. Meanwhile, they either run the other way or they yeah. pass. Yeah, <laughs> and or it's they, out in like a second and a half. And or they double team him and a tight end chips him as well. I mean, this guy is facing every sort of def- offensive line, and you know. Chip blocking, cut blocking, yeah. whatever you have you, Absolutely. and the guy, you know, still manages to get the numbers he does. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. So, then you know, aside from one little incident against the Steelers, the guy has been a model citizen, yeah. and I'm sure. Who I mean, they just randomly lost the audio from that incident, but I think we all know pretty much what Mason Rudolph said. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. They said, oh, well, we don't have the audio. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. So I well, all right. Well, I'll just I'll just go with because uh, I was going to pick one of these two guys. It's funny how we both had the same idea. Mm-hmm. Um, number two for me is Nick Chubb. Absolutely has to be Nick Chubb. Yeah. So, um, he's uh one of the one of the one of the most underrated things about him is how he compares himself to uh, Batman. How he compares himself to the Dark Knight. Um, and it's it, and it's so apropos because you know he's 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 a guy that you know he doesn't say a lot. Let's his action speak for him, and uh, he's just you know he's one of the best top three running back in the NFL. In the NFL, I, I I believe if his usage was higher, if the Browns gave him the ball more, he'd probably be the most productive running back in the NFL. The biggest mystery of the 2021 season was why was Nick Chubb not getting more carries? We said yeah. it every single freaking week on yeah. the post game podcast, and it got to the point where I was thinking like. Well, maybe he's not as healthy as people are letting on, and he—they're he, like keeping him on a run count, basically. Uh, I fully believe that the Browns were trying to let Baker Mayfield hang himself. Well, they did that, which in and of itself is really crappy, but whatever. Bad. Whatever. That's that. That season's done and dusted. We don't need to relive that. Yep. All right. So, round three. So, third choice. This guy. This guy is a world champion. This is guy who you know doesn't play a team sport, but is extremely well heralded here. Oh, I know where you're going. And Damn that it, is son of a former UFC champion Stipe Miocic, the greatest UFC heavyweight of all time. I, or at least that's what he was billed uh, before his title loss, and it's, he probably still is. He has, honestly, he has I the mean, most. The guy, he, has, he has the most title d- defenses of all time. That's that's really newsworthy when you consider all the great names that have come <sighs> through the UFC over the years. You know, guys like Randy Couture, Chuck Liddell, uh, Anderson Silva, Brock. you know, Brock Lesnar, you know, just, and he's above all of those guys in title. Now, and now you talk defended. about guys like Francis Ngannou. Uh, who was the guy who, you know, took his title, who he actually beat once before, and believe yeah. me, I don't know, you know, Stipe's getting up in age now. I don't the trilogy, know, man. I don't know if he wants it, but you, it's got to be. It has to be Cleveland v. Cameroon number three. It's got to be, and I, oh. I would I would pay I would actually go to see that fight no matter like where it is in the country uh, even if it's international I consider it like it's just yeah. 
He's he's such a great guy. He's you know was a first also was a first responder, a firefighter for the Euclid uh, Fire Department. Uh, can't say enough about the guy. Legend, boy. Oh boy. Uh, I'm gonna go with my third pick. Uh, turning into one of the best point guards in the NBA. I'm gonna go with Darius Garland. Oh, that's a solid choice. Yeah. Just a great player. I, I liked him coming out of the draft. That's who I wanted the Cavs to draft uh, with the fifth pick in the 2018 draft? 19 draft? 19 draft, I think. Um, had a bit of a slow start to his career in his first his first year. Started to blossom in his second career and then second season. And then last year just, just took over. Um, you know, in the he was an all-star uh, in Cleveland this year uh, along with Jared Allen. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I just love Darius Garland. I think he's going to continue to get better, and I think he has a chance to be one of the best point guards in the NBA at his apex. His play has been absolutely spectacular at times, and it really he he is much better than I thought he was going to be. I remember when he was having he didn't play very much in college. He had a knee problem with a meniscus or something. I was just like, yeah. do not touch this guy. I was not happy on draft night when they drafted him. I was completely. Totally dead wrong. That's funny. The guy has That's who been... I wanted the Cavs to draft. Yeah. So maybe it's because I tore up my own meniscus the year before. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. You, you don't want to do with that. And I just got the heebie-jeebies for that reason. Yeah. But be that as it may, what, what a guy, honestly. Yeah. Fourth pick for me, here, here's where, you know, it's sort of interesting. I've got one from, you know, I've got an Indian. I'm doing it three times on the same show. I have a That's Guardian, a I have a Brown, and I have a guy from not a team sport. I almost feel like I got to go Cavs here, but you know what? There's one guy on the Guardians that, you know, has sort of actually been flying under the radar, if you can believe it, because he's been so fantastic, and that's Shane Bieber. Uh, I, I got to go with him with my fourth pick. Shane Bieber has been an outstanding pitcher ever since he came up for the for the Guardians back when they were the Indians. Um, had a couple of playoff runs, and – uh, was a member of the, I believe, the team in 2018 that uh, made the playoffs. After he made his debut, made the All Star team in 2019, and won the Cy Young in 2020. I mean, this guy's pretty spectacular, and I, I got a, he's got like a 3.3 something career and run average. I mean, that's Biebs. that's sick. You know, so this is the next guy that I worry about once the. He gets close to the end of his contract. The Guardians brass is just going to be like, well, you should enjoy him. Oh, it'll be next year. You know. But uh, if, if, if by somehow they're out of contention by the trade deadline this year, it could be this year. Yeah. Um, gosh, I don't even want to think about that because the Guardians are playing so great right now. But I know, know things, I know. Things can swing quickly. You just never know. But, yeah, so Shane Bieber is my fourth choice. That's a great choice. Uh, I'm going to stay on the same pitching staff. Okay. Give me Dr. Sticks, Tristan McKenzie. Okay. I think this guy is a future Cy Young winner. Uh, and, and if you've ever listened to him or if you've ever listened to any interviews with him, he just seems like such a great kid. Um, seems like a, a really cool kid. Uh, and I say kid because, you know, I'm in my mid-30s now, unfortunately, just like you are, Steve. And this kid is 24 years old. So to us, he is a kid. Um, I just I, I love the way I love the way that he pitches. Um, he's been so dynamite for us this year, 
And I think he's a guy that's only going to get better. And like I said, I think he's going to win a Cy Young with the Indian. Or whoop, ah, that's a dollar, dollar for me too. <laughs> it's three to one now yep. uh, for the Guardians. So, yeah, that's that's my pick uh, in the fourth round. All right. So, fifth pick, fifth and final pick for me. To me, it would seem I haven't even taken anybody on the Cavaliers yet. It would seemingly be the obvious choice would be Evan Mobley. Um, but I had almost telegraphed who I was going to take in the fifth spot here, and I'm, I didn't think Evan Mobley would still be on the board right now. So I guess if I was going best player available, I might go there. But I'm going to pass, and I'm going to go with somebody who a lot of people may have heard of or maybe have not heard of, mm-hmm. and that is Catherine Nagat. Katie Najat. Katie Najat. Yeah. She is – an Olympic gold medalist in the pole vault mm-hmm. from 2021 Summer Olympics. And she was born in Lakewood. I know Matthew's going to like Falls, that pick. And Fellow pole vaulter. I mean, yeah. I mean, she, honestly, he's she's like one of his idols now, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, and I, I got to tell you, know, without being too superficial here, if you ever go to one of the you know top track events you know world championships olympics or even you know diamond league which is the you know basically the regular season in track and field the pole vaulters are some of the most fit people on on planet earth Mm -hmm. they have to sprint they have to be strong in the upper body they have to have a strong core and like all of these people could probably be models if they wanted to be because they they just have that stereotypical body but that this Katie Najat is just she's she's the man. She's Becky Lynch, in other words. <laughs> yeah. Um, great yeah. at what she does, and a fab- fabulous ambassador for uh, Cleveland in our greater <laughs> area. Yep. That's not a bad choice, right there. Um, that is not a bad choice at all. Well, uh, your great choice frees me up to you know I'm going. Let's see. I have well I have LeBron and Nick Chubb. Those guys are pretty established. Yeah. Uh who was my third pick? Your third pick was Darius Garland. Oh, that's right. He's who beca- I would argue is also well established. He's becoming pretty established, too. Uh, but my last two picks are going to be just oozing with potential. I went Tristan McKenzie, and I cannot believe that this guy is the last pick in our draft. It's potentially the next guy to win... MVP for the Cleveland Cavaliers. It's Evan Mobley. Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy is a freaking unicorn. He plays. He doesn't have the outside shot yet, but and he's 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 more of I guess of a, of a low post type player. But once he develops his game more, I mean, this guy has Kevin Durant level talent. Same body. He he can handle the ball. Now, he turns the ball over a lot, but again, he's he's like a nineteen year old deer who's on who's on the court and doesn't like doesn't like know his he, he doesn't know his limitations. Exactly. Yeah. Um this guy is a freaking unicorn. Uh he's he has the potential to be defensive player the defensive player of the year. I think if when Cavaliers it, have finished the season better, I think he would have been defensive player of the year, quite frankly. He should have been. He got jobbed for rookie of the year. He would have won that too. Uh, he, I, I truly believe this. 
I think he has the ability to win an MVP in the NBA. He's got that ability. I think, I think. he's that talented. Now the question is, does his game have to develop from being like what he is right now, which is basically like an old school big, you know, low block kind of, you know, and and rim defender? Yeah. Does he have to to expand on that and become more of like a Kevin Durant type stretch forward to I be think able to has, do that? I think he has the ability. I mean, if he can do that, holy moly, he has the ability. I mean, I just think he's he's so damn good. Um, even already, you just see it. Even at nineteen, with a with a underdeveloped by NBA standards body in terms of strength and uh, physicality, and I think he'll he'll grow into that. Obviously, I just think, oh my gosh, he's just so damn good. So that is my fifth pick. I gotta tell you, we have made some amazing choices here, and like this, my who my are honor- who are some honorable mentions? My honorable, my first honorable mention is you know I'm I'm a runner, so I'm like a, a sucker for running and track and field. Um, Katie Najat, I just mentioned another um, Olympic gold medalist, a five, uh, three-time Olympic gold medalist, twice in the four by one hundred meter relay and once in the long jump. Tiana Bartoletta, who is from Elyria, Ohio, mm-hmm. uh, you know who? That's another one who just you know she's almost like she's like at the end of her career now because she's like thirty-six. But mm-hmm. I mean, just the, the illustrious career she's had, I had to I had to shout her out. Um, and if you look at just the rest of our teams, I mean, you look at some of the guys that, you know, Denzel Ward we didn't mention. I mean, uh, yeah, I could ju- I could just mention I mean, a bunch of guys on the Browns. Denzel I mean, Ward, both of our guards, Petonio and Teller. Uh, yeah. I, you know, Hyatt Teller, definitely. Um, who is the other guy? Deserving of, of being top ten. I can't remember. Uh, oh, you could, you could make a case for Kareem Hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the thing with Kareem Hunt and Denzel Ward that makes them even even better is the fact that they both play college ball in Ohio as well. So their roots to the area, you know, one in Toledo and one in Columbus. I think with the Cavaliers, you look at Jared Allen. Yeah. Uh, with the Guardians, he hasn't had. An, I don't think he's had enough time to prove it. But Emmanuel Classe is there, our closer. Um, love his last name. Oh yeah, it's a great closing last name. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of anybody else in the Guardians that we may have missed. Uh, bah, 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 bah. We hit the Guardians pretty well, I think. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, the Guardians, you know, they're such a young team that you have guys that could potentially blossom into to uh, to those type of players. I mean, you look at a guy like Stephen Kwan or Oscar Gonzalez or uh, Andres Jimenez, who's having an unbelievable season, should be an all-star. He probably won't because nobody outside of Cleveland really knows who he is. But uh, he's he's our second baseman. He's batting over 300. He's an absolute wizard with the glove. Um, but, one, other, uh, but yeah. one other guy with local roots who we're – Mentioning perhaps for other obvious reasons is Stephen Curry, who just oh won, yeah, who just yeah. won his fourth. A lot, NBA lot of people, lot a lot of people conveniently forget the fact that he was born in the same hospital as LeBron and and uh, <laughs> in Akron. That's that's a piece we like try to whitewash from history at yeah, this right. point, which is not really fair. Hey, you know? hey, you know what? It sucks that they won another title, but kudos to them because they kept it out of the. I grubby, didn't have grubby, much of a problem with them celebrating in Boston. Of Boston. That's actually pretty cool. Yeah. They were sticking in Boston's face. Yeah. So, so again, recapping here, these were our, our top athletes in Cleveland today. Jose Ramirez, LeBron James, Miles Garrett, Nick Chubb, Stipe Miocic, Darius Garland, Shane Bieber, Tristan McKenzie, Katie Najat, and Evan Mobley. That is a heck of a lineup. Yeah. And if, honestly, if that doesn't make you feel good about the current status of our teams and of our – you know, ambassadors for the city and the sporting world. I don't know what will. 
And the future too. I mean, what what guy do we name that's that uh, outside of LeBron? Toward what, the end of that, that's, LeBron and Stipe, that's older. perhaps. Yeah, Stipe. That's yeah. about it. Yeah. So yeah, great list. Great great topic. Um, so that is your top five draft of this week, and uh, I think that's going to put a nice little bow on our episode tonight. Uh, covered a lot of ground. Happy two one six episode to everybody out there. Happy two one six. Uh, we got any parting words, Stephen? Uh, no, not to be self-indulgent, but I mean, our city's pretty awesome. And oh, anybody yeah. that comes at me and says that, that and poops on Playhouse Square again, like <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna fight you seriously. <laughs> uh, I'm done with that. Yeah, I mean it's well, I mean it's obvious that people who talk down about Playhouse Square have never been to Playhouse Square. Obviously. So. Uh, yeah. So I think that's gonna do it for us tonight. Uh, you can follow us on social media at the L O T L podcast. Um, and, uh, that's on all platforms on, uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And, uh, yeah. So happy two one six episode, everybody. Uh, enjoy the rest of your week. Stay cool as it's hot. It's going to be hot again tomorrow. You're probably listening to this on Wednesday. It's going to so. be in the nineties most of the rest of the week. Yeah. Summer is here. Well, Thursday, it's going to be about 75, but, uh, uh, but tomorrow it's going to be about 90. So, and then the weekend, yeah, we're supposed to get back up to close to 90 for the weekend. So. Um, everybody stay cool jump in a pool if you got it go to edgewater go to the lake enjoy our city uh or just sit in air conditioning so <laughs> but stay cool and uh we will uh, talk to you guys next week so for steven i'm dan you've been listening to living off the land episode 216 and we'll see you guys next week bye <laughs>